Welcome to the Last Kingdom podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Walker, and I would like to introduce you to our very first episode. Uh, this is something new we're going to be trying out. And the Last Kingdom here is going to be very, very simple. Uh, if you're hoping to learn what this is all about, in the Bible, God repeatedly talks about his kingdom. And he says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, lots of different ways it is spoken about. And it's been a great source of confusion and argumentation for many, many people for a very long time, for the last 2,000 plus years. Now, we're hoping to do two things on this podcast, The Last Kingdom. Uh, two things. One, we want to go ahead and discuss and talk about what is the kingdom of God. It's pretty simple. What is the kingdom of God? What does it look like? Uh, is it here on earth? Is it in heaven? Is it a future thing? Is it a past tense thing? And we're not going to be talking about things that are irrelevant. Uh, some people get into eschatology and things of end times and all kinds of other very crazy doctrinal theological stuff. We're not going to be doing that. What we will be doing is very practical things and be discussing them from the Bible, what was said about it, what Jesus said about it. Uh, hopefully everything is going to stay as grounded as we possibly can make it. And number two, besides talking about what is the kingdom of God, how to recognize it, what it looks like, uh, how it's formed, when does it take place. We're also going to be talking about what are we supposed to be doing right now. I'd like to go ahead and start this first episode, and like I said, this is just more of an introduction to discuss some of the things that are going on in the world and some of the confusions, and one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast here, um, and that is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Quote, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Unquote. Matthew 28, 18 through 21. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Well, first of all, uh, we're going to start with this part right here. Uh, this part with the kingdom of God is saying that Christians have responsibilities. Christians have duties. We live in a world that was created. And as Christians, we say the world was obviously created by God. And we have to then ask ourselves the question, who is in charge of this world? And what is mankind supposed to do now that we're here? What are Christians and non-Christians alike supposed to do? How are they supposed to act? Are there any differences between Christians and non-Christians? And what are those differences? What are the expectations of the various types of peoples, uh, cultures, nations, civil governments? Well, if we start here just in Matthew 28, we get a glimpse of what we're talking about. What it is that... Jesus is telling the disciples their jobs are, and by extension of that, our jobs, all the Christians that have come after the disciples. The first thing we're supposed to be doing is understanding this. All power in heaven and earth have been given to Christ. As Christians, it's one of the fundamental doctrines that you have to understand. All power in heaven and earth belong to him. That's all authority. There is nothing that can happen outside of what Christ wants to take place. Kind of as when Jesus in 
John 10, uh, sorry, in, uh, in the book of John and the, all the other Gospels, where Jesus is before Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate is asking him, well, if you're the Christ, you need to talk to me because I have the power to release you or to crucify you. And Jesus tells him, well, you have no power over me except that which was given to you from above. So in other words, Jesus was confident that all power belonged to God the Father. All powers on earth belonged, or rather rooted, in heaven itself. In the authority of God is where everything delineated from God's authority, from God's power. In the book of Job, we see that Satan clearly has power all throughout the Bible. It's very real. But we see in the book of Job that he can't do anything or touch people without God's explicit permission. We also see that uh, here we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, he was going to try to fight off the guards. He was going to try to save Jesus and uh, try to flee the garden, but was told by Jesus to stop and to put his sword away. Those that uh, live by the sword will die by the sword. And he said, do you not think that if I ask my father, he will not give me ten legions of angels? In other words, Jesus here was confident in his power and position that the people that were doing things were doing things only out of delineated power. They were borrowing the power of God and acting with that permission from God. There's another part where Jesus, whenever the disciples uh, are in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is there, and the soldiers, Judas and all the rest, come in to take him. And he says, I am he. And just him speaking, the force of his speech pushed them back, knocked them all down. In other words, Jesus didn't have to have swords and fight. This was the person who, with nothing more than his words, said, Let there be light. And then there was light. The whole world was created with nothing but his desire, his will, and a simple speech of a word. Just one word spoken, and everything came into being. In other words, Jesus here has power and authority that were given to him. They belong and were rooted in God the Father, and were passed then and given to God the Son. All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. As Christians, we need to understand this. You can never view the world as out of control. You can never view that there are lots of people running around with power and authority that aren't from God. As if the most horrible dictators on the planet are operating independent of God, and God has no idea what's going on. Yes, he does. From the very beginning, God has always had all power. From the very beginning, he could always do and only did what he wanted to do. King Nebuchadnezzar, in, of course, the book of Daniel, I think it's chapter 4, he eventually comes to the realization that God does in heaven and earth whatever he desires to do, and none can stay his hand, and none can say, what doest thou? In the book of Job, we had Jesus, uh, or we had God doing things in the life of Job, utilizing Satan to do it. And when given the opportunity, Job put his hand to his mouth and said, I spoke about two things too high and wonderful for myself to understand. In other words, he couldn't possibly fathom why God made the choices that he did. We might, as people, look at things and say, I would never make that decision. Well, sure, because we're silly, we're foolish, we're ignorant, and we have no idea what we're talking about. God has all 
power, all knowledge, all authority. And so the decisions he makes are the perfect and best decision to make. Now, not all decisions are equal, though, meaning that it's very clear. The Bible says that all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, God's people are going to prosper in the end, even when the, we call them bad things come their way and bad things happen in their lives. We're supposed to give, as Paul said, uh, things in all things to bless God. Not just the good things, but also the bad things, the tragedies. Not because we understand them, not because they're not painful, but that we understand that God's in control. A good example of what I'm talking about here, about the pain we're talking about, is Jesus in the book of John was going to see Lazarus. Lazarus was a great friend of his. Uh, Mary Magdalene and Martha were also the sisters of Lazarus. Well, Lazarus had died and was dead for four days. And Jesus had already told his disciples that he was sleeping. Now, they, of course, thought he was actually sleeping when he wasn't. He was actually dead. He actually told them, well, no, he's actually dead. We're going to see him. He knew that Lazarus was allowed to die. He had been told that Lazarus was sick and allowed him to die. He told his disciples in John. The reason for it was so that God could be glorified. He wanted to reveal the power of God through Lazarus. He then shows up, meets Martha, meets Mary. And when he's going to the tomb of uh, Lazarus, the smallest, I think, verse in the Bible says he wept. Jesus cried. Now, why do we cry as people? We cry because we are sad. We cry because we don't understand. We cry because we're in despair. Sometimes we cry because we're happy. But in this case, you're talking about a man who has perfect knowledge, before and after knowledge. He knows why Lazarus died. In fact, he's the one who allowed him to die. He could have spoken the word, and he would have been healed instantly. He didn't have to go see him. Just say, I will. And he could have been healed, as it happened so many other times in the Bible. But Jesus still wept. So in other words, just because we understand things, just because we understand that God has all the power, just because we understand that God has a plan, even if we potentially knew the plan, it doesn't change the fact of the actual pain that's involved. And the Bible says that in all points Christ was tempted uh, and yet without sin. In other words, he was a man, truly a man, and he was also truly God. So in other words, at the loss of a friend, even knowing the purpose, the reason, everything, and he still wept, knowing that he was going there to save him, to raise him from the dead, and to reveal the glory of God through Lazarus, he still wept. And so it's something that I think we have to understand that the kingdom of God isn't something that we can be callous about. Um, it is a real thing that we know God's in control, but it doesn't mean we won't be uh, sad. It doesn't mean that we won't um, cry. It doesn't mean that we won't have pain. It doesn't mean that we don't have difficulties. Just look at the story of Job is a great example of that. But we do have faith in God. We do understand that he has a plan. And it's that trust in God that allows us to be happy in all things. Because we don't have to know the plan, even though Jesus did. We don't have to know where we're going. But we do have to know what our jobs are right now. But to do anything, you have to start with one basic premise. Who is in charge? Are things chaotic? Here in Matthew 28, Jesus very clearly states that all power is given to him in heaven and earth. 
This just simply means the same power that God the Father wielded all throughout the Bible, God the Son is now given that power and that authority. He does anything he wants to do, as Nebuchadnezzar said. And because of this, then came the next part. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, the job is based on the power and authority of God. Therefore, we can have confidence that anything we do is not in vain. It's also very biblical. But going, what is our jobs then? To teach all nations. We're supposed to, number one, teach them the gospel. Some people stop there. We're supposed to teach the gospel to people. That's true. The gospel is just the beginning. Gospel is just the starting point. If you look at what happened with the disciples and whatnot, uh, these guys taught the gospel. Once people repented, now the question was, what are we supposed to do? Well, the rest of the New Testament was not just about evangelism. It was them now working out what the church, Christians, the converts, were now supposed to do, how they're supposed to act. It did not stop at the salvation of souls, and that's where everything stops. Teaching them all things to observe that I have commanded you. Now, he's already said he's God the Father as well. Him and the Father are one. So every commandment in the Bible unless it's been set aside, is part of that. It wasn't just individuals. Teach all nations. This means people from every walk of life. And if we're going to teach a person, let's say the person is a police officer. In his personal life, he is going to change how he acts. He's going to change how he acts with his family, children, wife, and how he performs his duties as a police officer. He's not going to do the things that he shouldn't do that are in violation of God's commandments. Therefore, the commandments of God will be brought into his job. This would be, obviously, a, a police officer, perhaps. This would also be tax collectors. We saw in the story of uh, Zacchaeus. He was a Roman tax collector. And he didn't stop being a tax collector. He stopped being a crooked tax collector. There were people who were baptized in the New Testament who were Roman soldiers. And they were said, well, what should I do now? He says, go back and be a Roman soldier. But he wasn't supposed to go beyond that. In other words, he couldn't use his position as a Roman soldier to kill and to pillage in order to get something, to get personal gain. He had to perform his duties, but not out of a sense of uh, greed or covetousness, but to do his job as he was supposed to do it, keeping the commandments of God. But they had to know the commandments in order to keep them. And so that's where the church comes in. The church uses the function and it focuses on the teaching aspect of things, then what we teach has effect on everything else. See, the kingdom here is based on God's power and God's authority, whereby we will then go out and start to teach. We don't have to try to change the world overnight, and that's part of the problem. People want to pick it, and people want to get all upset, but we don't have to do that. We just have to go out there and teach, and those things will be used to do whatever it is that God wants done. Now, he didn't say that we have power over heaven and earth as the church or as Christians, but Christ does. We have a small job, a very minor, minor, minuscule job to handle. But if we can do that, then we will be part of the kingdom because this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing. See, we're supposed to keep doing this, but how long are we supposed to do it? This is where the eschatology stuff gets in. And boy, oh boy, do people like to argue about this. Are you pre-mill? 
Are you odd mill? Are you post mill? What are you? What's your view of the end of times? Here's an idea. You have enough to do right now to stop worrying about what's going to happen in the future. How about you just get up and go get to work? Let him worry about it, things. Christ has power over heaven and earth, not you. You have a very minor bit of time here. You might have 80 years to 100 if you're fortunate and blessed. You're not going to have much more than that. The vast majority of people for the last 2,000 years, they have not seen the end of the world. They have only seen the little bit of their life in which they were able to live. They, most of the people, squander their time. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, which says that we're supposed to look at our lives and spend our time applying our heart to wisdom. In other words, when you wake up in the morning, what am I supposed to be doing today? Now, you could be right about the end times. Maybe it is pre-mill, ah-mill, post-mill, no-mill, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. But it doesn't change what you're supposed to be doing now. Now, I know a lot of people like to argue about eschatology, and they'll say, well, it changes what, how you do things now. And I don't disagree with that. I also agree with that as well. But what I'm saying here is we're given a clear command, right? If a person holds a presuppositional, uh, sorry, a pre-mill, ah-mill, or post-mill viewpoint, but they're going to go out and they're going to teach the nations, they're going to be baptizing people, they're going to be doing the things of education, teaching people how to live, then I don't care what their views are of the end times. Uh, because if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing right now, then they're doing their job. Because if that is what they're doing, then they are being good, godly Christians. If not, then they're not. Also, you can have a great eschatology. Maybe you have the perfect eschatology, but you're not doing this. You're not going out there and teaching. You're not giving people the impression, like uh, Christ says, that he has the power. You're giving people the impression that men have power. And that Christians have to go out there and try to fight for political control. Because if they don't, Christians don't gain control, then everything's going to fall apart. No. Christ has everything perfectly under control. And if you wanted things to get better, how about you go do your job? How about you get out there and teach? How about you become a teacher? How about you start a school? Uh, how about you change your family? How about working on that? Growing up as a kid, I can tell you this much, the churches were falling apart. Their families were falling apart. And they focused more on cutting the grass and soul winning than they did working on the education of their children, uh, being faithful to their spouse, educating their children properly, teaching other people how they're supposed to live, at least actually live. Um, they didn't do these things. And so the vast majority of people were not busy doing the most basic, simple things that we call the Great Commission. So what is the last kingdom that we're dealing with here on this podcast? Well, the last kingdom is what it is. Christ's coming is the fulfillment of Daniel's uh, vision, his prophecy, where in King Nebuchadnezzar's vision, there was a statue. And there's a head of gold and the arms of silver and the stomach of brass and the legs of iron and the feet were iron and clay. And in the vision, a rock fell, hit the feet, crushed the statue and began to grow. And it began to grow until it filled the entire earth. Now, some people have used this vision to come with all kinds of crazy stuff. But all it comes down to is this, is Daniel had a vision of the future. And the vision of the future was that Christ was going to send his king. And his kingdom was going to grow. And it was going to keep growing. It wasn't going to stop until the entire world was covered. And if you notice in this verse, it says, Lo, I am with you even until the end of the world. We as Christians 
have to have the confidence and the faith that Christ is going to continue to operate with his power and authority until the very end. And then at the very end, as we understand, all things that have are offensive are going to be pulled out of the world. And only those things that are unoffensive, dedicated to God, are going to remain. That's it. We don't have to know the exact understanding of how everything's going to play out before we can do our jobs. The Bible isn't, uh, you know, in vain when Christ says that the kingdom of God is like little children. Because little children don't have to understand a lot. In fact, most of the time, we don't give them information. They can't even fathom most of the things that are going on in their own lives. And so whenever God says to us as Christians, we should become like little children, for such is the kingdom of God. This means we don't have to know everything. But when you're told to go to bed, then you need to go to bed. When it's time to get up and get dressed, it's time to get up and get dressed. You don't have to know where you're going. You don't have to know what's happening next week. What you need to know is what you're supposed to be doing right now. And so if you want to understand the kingdom of God, and this podcast, which is called The Last Kingdom, we're going to be discussing because Christ's kingdom is the very last one there will ever be. There will never be another kingdom after this. If you want to understand that, then it starts with this simple concept. Christ is in charge, has been in charge since he was given power. God the Father was in charge from the beginning of the world. Right now, Christians have a job and duty to teach all nations, spreading the gospel, and then, of course, to observe all things. So not only do we spread the gospel, we're not just soul winners. We are searching, yes. We're not trying to make converts. If you just read the book of John, I mean, I, I won't argue and argue with you. It's just pointless people to talk about salvation. Can everybody be saved? Is some people saved? Limited atonement? If you read the book of John, it's obviously clear that God the Father has chosen his people out of the world and given those to God the Son. And God the Son died to give them eternal life. And God the Holy Spirit brings them to new life. And then they are then supposed to, of course, do this. Number one, obey God themselves, then teach about how to obey God to everyone else. This isn't a difficult concept. It isn't complicated. So we're not soul winners, per se. We are looking for God's people. That's what the gospel message is. Some people, like on Mars Hill in the book of Acts, some people will listen, and some people are going to laugh their heads off. Uh, by the foolishness of preaching, God said, it was used to bring in his people. We're not trying to be intelligent. We don't have to try to be smart. We don't have to appeal to the intellect. Preach the gospel, and the right people are going to listen. Everybody else will not. But we are going to have a job, and our jobs are not complicated. And there's nothing wrong with studying theology. There's nothing wrong with having discussions. But at the end of the day, what are you doing right now? So not only will we be talking about what the kingdom of God is, how to recognize it, what it should look like, how it functions, because uh, the Bible is full of this stuff. Uh, but we're also going to be talking about that part right there, teaching them to observe all things whatever, whatsoever I've commanded you. So we're going to be taking the commandments of God, and we're going to be uh, breaking one of those down every time we have an episode here on The Last Kingdom. And uh, I think it's going to be fun, personally, because we're not just going to be talking about that episode, meaning that one commandment. But we're going to be talking about how to apply it, or how does it apply to your personal life, how it applies to your family, how it applies to your business, and, of course, what are the societal uh, implications of it and uh, civil government and things like that. Because all the commandments of God 
apply to all those areas. Question is, if we can't give uh, any information about how to do this, then we can't fulfill our jobs. See, it's not just the gospel. You have to know what to teach. And if you want to know what to teach, well, find the commandments of God. So anyways, I hope that's a good enough start uh, explaining what is the last kingdom because that's what this podcast, new podcast is called. And hopefully you'll tune in next time as we actually begin to divulge and delve into this a little more. We'll touch on every episode, one specific aspect that is very clear about what the kingdom of God is, looks like, operates as, or otherwise. And there's so many things in the Bible which is very explicit about how that operates. We're also going to be covering one commandment at a time. We're not talking like uh, one commandment meaning thou shalt not kill. We're not going to talk about that. But specific commandments in the Bible which help us to understand thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not steal. If you're unfamiliar, the commandments of God we'll call them the Ten Commandments, are simply the summation of the law. And the rest of them are called case laws, telling you how things operate or to the extent of which the commandments apply to personal, family, business, and civil civil government. So we're going to be talking about that as well. So anyways, I want to thank everybody for joining us again here on this podcast, the new one, called The Last Kingdom. And I hope to give you some information which is going to not just be a theological interest to you, but something that's going to help you uh, better uh, as a person, be a better Christian, help you in your family, your business, and, of course, understanding civil government. I mean, if you're a voter, uh, you should know what we should be looking for in a civil government and what things we should be for or against uh, as well. And the commandments of God are, of course, our measuring stick. So, Thank you again for joining us on The Last Kingdom. Um, Hopefully we'll be getting to a lot more next time. But until then, thank you for joining us. And, of course, God bless.